This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. again everybody to the disney film project podcast this is the show where we talk about the films of the walt disney company marvel pixar lucasfilm disney toon studios touchstone anything and everything that the walt disney company touches puts out on the silver screen on the tv screen online everywhere we try to cover it here on this program and over at disneyfilmproject.com I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find show notes for this very podcast. You can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews. You can find all kinds of stuff going back all the way to the 1920s in Disney film history. So make sure you go and check out the content over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts. First of all, we have the man known as the Flaming Pirate of Nagamaki, Mr. Todd Perlmutter. Are Exactly. And, of course, from JustPressPlay.net, we have Rachel Kolb. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Uh, I couldn't be better. And our fine producer is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter at CherylP3 or at about.me slash CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? Doing good, Brian. I'm, I'm surprised that you escaped the prison that was apparently easier to escape and, and made it back. <laughs> it, it does take some time, uh, but yeah, you know, a, a little uh, spoon and a little digging, you'd be surprised. And did you have a mace farm? That's our question. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny those reports. All right. Uh, so this week we're talking about a new release from Disney. Uh, it feels like they're putting out like 16 summer movies and then you don't hear from them again until the middle of October, uh, which is exactly what happened here with Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, uh, starring Steve Carell and Jennifer Garner, as well as many uh, minor Disney Channel stars. Uh, this is a movie that's been in production, turnaround, whatever you want to call it, for many, many moons, uh, but opened October 10th. Did fairly well and is uh, already pretty close probably by the time you guys hear this will have already made its money back so it's one of those little family comedy type films that disney uh makes from time to time these days i guess i guess i would put it on the on the par with like million dollar arm or um uh the odd life of timothy green that they did last year so things like that that disney's doing these smaller budget films that are more in line i would say with uh, you know, the stuff like the Gnome Mobile or the Love Bug or things like that from the 60s. That's kind of the way I view these. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I'm surprised you're saying it's doing well because I had um, actually heard the opposite, that it was not doing well in the theater. 
Well, it's uh, it's all relative, right, as to what you consider doing well. I mean, uh, it's made its budget back, and it's only been out for about a week, so that's pretty that's pretty good. It's 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 all relative, right? It's not doing Guardians of the Galaxy business, and or Transformers business, but you know, it's it's going to turn a profit for the company. Yeah, it seems like they're kind of trying to bury it, at least out here in New York. Um, I actually had a very hard time finding a theater that was showing it. Interesting. Yeah, because we saw it, uh, the, the family and I went to see it on uh, Tuesday night, uh, and the theater wasn't packed, but it, you know, it was pretty full, and there was uh, there were two showings of it in, this, in a multiplex, so that was, that's interesting. Hmm. Sure, I got to see it in the preview. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, they switched the marketing campaign uh, in the past couple of days, to be the number one comedy of the summer. Yeah, I've no, I think it's I've the no, only uh, comedy that's been released this summer. So <laughs> I don't well, know any other than it's not even really summer, right? It's it's in the fall or this weekend or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's well, true. It depends where you live. I mean, if you live yeah. in Orlando, it's summer. It's, right. We're still we're still in summer here, <laughs> here in Orlando. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. <laughs> Uh, very jealous of that weather uh, when I'm getting up to run in 50 degree weather, but that is neither here nor there. All right, uh, but this is the based on the book by Judith Viorst. I'm going to say V I O R S T. So I apologize to Judith if I have misspelled or misspoken your last name uh, of of the same name, Alexander the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Um, what it shares in common with the book is that there is a child named Alexander and that he has a bad day, which is about, what, the first 30 minutes of the movie? Uh, other than that, it does not share much in common with the, with the book. The, the family is different, and, and, and most of the plot is different. Yeah, I think one of the things that they keep from the book is that the first bad thing to happen to him is that he gets gum in his hair, which and does he, happen in the movie. True, and his love for Australia. Yes. With not as much exposition in the book as in the book. Correct, yeah. But the actor himself, I believe, is from Australia. He is. Ah, oh, interesting. So that yes. was that was yeah, that was an interesting pick I thought. Yeah. Well, right. it, it is because the the book, the Australia thing is not special to the movie. It's actually a whole running gag in the book. I think it even doesn't it even start off with I might as well go move to Australia or something yes. like that? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. But it, it, it's it's just interesting, like I was saying, that they're making these kinds of movies because this was one that, um, like I said, had been in turnaround or you know in lots of different places for a while. It was originally supposed to be a 20th Century Fox, and then uh, Lisa Henson from the Jim Henson Company actually signed on as a producer. Um, Sean Levy, who you might know from the um, uh, the Night at the Museum movies, uh, directing those, he 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 was a producer for a while, and it was uh, it wasn't until a couple of years ago, after Steve Carell had already signed on to play uh, Ben Alexander's dad, that Disney picked it up, and and apparently uh, you know the budget was a little much for Fox, and that's why they dropped it, and Disney picked it up, and. Right after uh, Timothy Green, uh, Disney helped get Jennifer Garner on board. And then, as you can probably tell from some of the previews, they started throwing in some folks that work with ABC or Disney Channel, such as like Bella Thorne is in the movie as a girlfriend. And, and some of those characters, uh, some of the other characters are, are folks that appeared in various ABC, Disney projects, etc. So um, I, I was actually surprised with the two lead actors that this uh, ended up being so cheap. But there's no special effects or... or you know, any kind of major 
stunts or anything in here except for the dismantling of their van. Also, um, I well, the um, I think the the most probably expensive thing had to be like the kangaroo, the the people, yeah. the kangaroo training. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that many animals in one spot in the film is actually a ton of money, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, well, of course, they, it's all relative, right? Like, uh, that many Transformers in a scene would be about 16 times as much money, right? There, There is that. But that I here's the thing, right? So I'm just wondering if they... Why Fox gave up the movie at all. Because it, it doesn't seem like that much of a budget compared to the other movies that they put out. No, not at all. So I, I don't understand what they were looking for, but hey, you know it's Disney's win, I guess. Yeah, like, I guess I'm guessing once Lisa Henson came onto the deal, and I'm here's where I'm really, um, I'm gonna go on a quick rant. I'm really surprised that Disney didn't go with the marketing of like, like, pr- like produced by Lisa Henson or something like that for for the audiences. Yeah. Because I, I think more families would have seen it had they done, had the marketing team done something like that. They, they did make some, well, Disney does that from time to time, but they make some very odd choices marketing this movie. Yeah. You're, you're, you're very right. It's because it's like, they, I think they were relying on the name recognition of the book to sell it. Yeah, because um, the book is huge. I mean, the book alone is pretty popular, but it's also, um, there's a stage adaptation of it. I think there might even be an like a cartoon animated uh, adaptation of it as well. But, I yeah. mean, this is kind of like a modern day kids book classic. For sure. Well, and it was weird because they, I, I think, I guess because they didn't want to ruin a lot of stuff in the, in the movie. There's not a ton of... There weren't a bunch of trailers, um, and I didn't see a whole lot of promotion for this, like, in front of other movies. And, you know, I go to the movies probably once, maybe twice a week. Um, and, and I didn't see a lot of trailers for this, even in front of other Disney movies. I was actually surprised I didn't get a Big Hero 6 trailer in front of this. It's just, it seems like one, it seems like, like you were saying, Todd, that, like, they're trying to bury this in some way. Oh, I didn't say that. Cheryl did, but. no, oh, sorry. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, and I agree, and I also, but, and I, but I want to say, as someone who watches um, Disney Channel and Disney XD and Disney Junior from time to time, because I like Doc McStuffins. Sorry, guys, I think she's good. <laughs> I love, I love the, I love that snowman. That snowman is like best character ever. <laughs> Continuing, um, I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of previews for this. Yeah, when you and you would expect that, right? Like you would expect it to to show up on on Disney Channel and and, and cross promoted there. But, but um, I, I'm just curious why it wouldn't have shown up. You know, like why you wouldn't see it in, as a, attached to a trailer on like a Maleficent or um, or some of the other movies. But you know, um, but I did want to speak. One our um, one of our friends went to the DVC preview, and you know how they always give gifts. Um, they got a door hanger. And one side says I'm having a bad day. One says one side says okay, come in. <laughs> I'm like, really? That's all you. I, I'm wondering if the people <laughs> from the parks well got, <laughs> but that didn't seem much of like much of a gift. Interesting. Yeah. See, see, if I if I was in charge of the uh, promotions for this for the gift to give away, I would have given away that fake uh, book from the movie. 
like inside the movie. The um, uh, just take a jump or whatever. Dump. The, <laughs> <laughs> the dump or jump. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the question is whether it'd be the correct one, jump, or the incorrect one, dump. <laughs> Unclear. Yes. <laughs> I think that was the best surprise of the movie. I mean, I, I mean, to, not the book. You mean unless you saw preview, unless you saw the previews. I don't know if they it was in the previews. I don't remember because I stopped watching them. Because I, um, but I, I think that was the best surprise. Yeah, it was not in the previews because no. they have, they've been playing the previews like crazy at my theater in the lobby, and it's definitely not in the previews. So I think I think that was like one of the best. But I think at this point we should. Put out the spoiler warning. Right, yeah, yeah If you exactly. haven't seen the movie, we're going to be ruining the big surprise that we're talking about. <laughs> well, and before before we start spoiling things, I mean, um, for people who, you know, there are some people, because I've heard from them, who listen and then uh, decide if they want to go watch the movie or not. Uh, you know, uh, what did you guys think? I mean, is this is this something you think people should go spend their cash and, and go check out in the theater? No. R- Rachel? Here's where I fall on it. I think this is the perfect, like, it's on cable movie, and you'll watch it on a Saturday afternoon. I don't know if I would spend the money to go see it in theaters. Um, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, but I still don't think it's a full price movie. I agree. I agree. I'm, th- I'm saying the five bucks, uh, what, the four bucks on Amazon price. Mm-hmm. I would do that. Um, I would also compare this to um, the DCOM. Um, you know, it's a little bit over decom. I think it's layer online with Teen Beach movie. That's a little bit better, obviously, because obviously that was a cable produced movie, and this is a you know real movie with real stars. So obviously, I failed to see your point. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with both of you because I think this is probably a really, really good family movie. I mean. For me, as someone who doesn't have kids, yes, I can see me not paying to go see this in the theater, except that I, you know, and I didn't. I went and saw it as a preview anyway. Um, but from a family standpoint, I think the message is really strong. Yes. I think it's yep. very fun. I think the comedy is directed at the right audience. You know, even yep. even the uh, – the quote-unquote uh, lowbrow humor is not low enough that it's in the gutter, so to yeah. speak. Correct. That's, and that's what I was expecting. I was really expecting a lot of really stupid, awful toilet humor, and it was not there. Yep. And I would, as someone who does have children uh, and took them to the movie with me uh, on, a two, on a school night, no less, uh, I would have to say, Todd, your supposition is absolutely correct. We had a blast at the movie. Uh, I'm not saying it's a five star movie and by any stretch of the imagination because it's definitely not. Um, but if you if you have kids and I have an eight year old and a twelve year old and I think the twelve year old actually laughed as much or more than the eight year old. So I mean it was perfect for kids of those ages. Um, th- yeah, there is some I guess what what you guys are calling lowbrow humor in it for sure. So there's some things if you have younger kids that you probably have to explain to them. But uh, it was a good time at the movies. Now. I'm not going to go pay full price and see it at you know uh, at, at nine o'clock at night and pay the thirteen dollars in the theater for a family of four. That might be pushing it, uh, but for you know if you catch a matinee of it or something like that with your kids, I think you'll have a great time. Yeah, this is a solid matinee. How much is matinee price these days? Because I am paying matinee prices a long time. <laughs> 
Uh, it depends on where you live. Around here, f- probably five or six dollars for Rachel. It's probably more like twelve, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the theater I went to, it's like nine fifty for a uh, matinee. There you go. So like, for Ryan, it's not not far off from my pricing because if I'm paying four for Amazon, six is not that far a jump from four. That's right. Um, yeah. But definitely, it's a I w- if you're a big jump like that, nine fifty. I'm I'm not sure if it's, if it's worth the nine fifty. Ryan, would you think it's worth the nine fifty? Yeah, I would have taken all 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 okay. four of us for that for that price for sure. Yeah, no, we 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 really had a great time watching it. So, all right, so that's that's your your quick uh, your quick update. So if you guys uh, do want to go see it, um, you know, turn the podcast off and go check it out because we're going to spoil the rest of the movie. Um, it, it you know, there's definitely some surprises. Not we're not talking Captain America Winter Soldier twist in here, but there are some. So just just be careful. Uh, so for the rest of the rest of the way out, we are going to be spoilerific. So you have been forewarned. Uh, so the, the plot of the film is following Alexander, uh, who's played here by Ed Oxenbold, who is apparently from Australia, as we have learned now. Uh, and it's about basically the fact that he is having this atrocious day and the, the central conceit of the film is that, you know, um, it's about to be his birthday and he makes a wish, which then causes everyone else in the family to have as bad a day as he had. Um, I I have a question here. Um, have any of you seen the Disney Channel movie? Um, I think it's sixteen something about candles with um, the girl that plays Jessie. It's it's sixteen wishes. I think is yeah, the name of the movie. Yeah, sixteen wishes with the girl playing Jessie. No. Nope. No. 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 Sixteen sixteen wishes is a cute little movie where that girl she gets she gets to make a, a legitimate wish per birthday candle that she has. Okay. On her sixteenth birthday, and it won the, and then she makes uses the final one. So this reminded me a lot of that. Yeah, this is a this is a pretty common conceit. This whole like wishing on a you know wishing on a candle or blowing out a candle kind of a thing um, across multiple different films. I mean, yeah, that that part of it to me, I did. I agree, Cheryl is a little like. Okay, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. What I did like, though, was the execution of how everything carried out. Yes. Uh, Because Sally and I were talking as we left the theater, like, we hate this kind of comedy where you're supposed to laugh at the bad things that are happening to people. So my best example of that is Meet the Parents, again, a movie I don't recommend to people. Uh, Like, we walked out of that. Because, like, seeing somebody go through uncomfortableness or, like, just, you know, bad things happening to them for no good reason and and that sort of thing, like, it, it has never been my kind of humor. So that's what I was really worried about going into this is right there in the title it tells you exactly that the whole movie is going to be about people having horrible things happen to them. <laughs> uh, but it was done in such a way that you don't – you felt like, oh, well, they'll be okay. Yeah, I really, really, really love the conceit of this movie, and I love the fact that Disney put this out, because so many Disney films, like everything from, you know, Cinderella to Pinocchio and stuff, so much of it is about the idea that if you stay optimistic and if you, you know, keep moving forward as, you know, Meet the Robinsons and all that, 
um, that everything will be okay and that you can get through anything. And this movie actually puts it out there for kids that it's okay to just have a terrible day and to acknowledge that it was a terrible day and to not have to find the silver lining in it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I loved that part of it. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, it's it, it's a nice film that gets that point across exactly that, you know, sometimes bad stuff just happens and you and you got to deal with it and and there's nothing you can do about it. So um, I, I, I'm right there with you, Rachel. All right. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the, the basic setup here. Um, we gave you the idea that that Alexander's having a bad day. And as as we were saying earlier, uh, it begins with him waking up in the morning and finding gum in his hair. Although the movie itself actually begins, uh, which I thought was very clever, with a sort of a. a, a the whole movie sort of told in flashback to a degree, at least a, a good chunk of it. Uh, because it begins with the whole family driving down the street in their minivan, which has been demolished. Um, <laughs> and Alexander narrating that, you know, everybody's been having a horrible day. You see his baby brother with the with green marker on his face. Uh, you see, you know, his sister, you know, looking as peaked as can be in what appears to be and is later confirmed to be a Peter Pan costume. Um, his <laughs> his brother in a strange is that teal neon blue what, Pow- what, what powder blue that? powder yeah, blue, blue to, tuxedo. Yeah. Um, his father in a pirate blouse with the arms off. Uh, <laughs> and his mother is actually the most calm person. She's driving the car. Um, and we find out later she has the least reason to be calm. But, like, he's basically narrating that, you know, this has been awful for everybody. And then the whole thing ends as they walk through the front door. Everybody, you know, along the lines of, whoo, glad that's over. And they open the door and something horrible is behind the door. We don't know what it is yet. Yes. But I thought it was a great way to open the movie because you realize that, you know, okay – some stuff's going to happen here, but everybody's going to survive at least to an extent. And they're going to be able to laugh about it or, you know, smile about it when they get back to the house. You know, I just figured out what this scene reminds me of and what this whole movie reminds me of. It reminds me so much of planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh yeah. 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 It really does. Like in the whole feel of it, um, like I kept, I kept trying to put my finger on it. I said, this really feels kind of John Hughes-ish, and that's what it is. It really is very much like planes, trains, and automobiles. If you started out the movie with, like, with Steve Martin and John Candy standing at the side of the road with their car in flames. Right. Yeah, you're right. That that that's a very good call. That's that is what it's. It, it feels very much, and the the whole John Hughes feel of it. Of of the disa- the lighthearted disaster, you know what I mean? Which I know doesn't sound like two things that would go together, but it but it does. I mean, that's what the, the movie is. It's everything in this movie is a disaster for the for the characters, but they're okay. Yeah, and oh, and also that the that it all starts out with the kid wishing, you know, that his family would have a bad day is very similar to the opening of Home Alone where he just wishes that his family would go away and he wakes up the next morning and they've all left on their vacation without him. Yeah, good point, good point. 
Yeah, that's a, it's, it's just one of those conceits that they use in, in movies, especially movies with kids, uh, quite a bit. Uh, so I, I wasn't surprised to see that here. And quite honestly, the, the method it, as to which all the madness unfolds is, is less interesting, per se, than the madness itself. <laughs> Their reactions are really funny at times. I mean, that's really yes. what carries a lot of the movie. Oh, totally, yeah. I, I mean, one of the key things is this is, I mean, Miguel Arteta, he has directed a bunch of our movies before this PG movie. There's, like, no basis for his ability to direct this movie one way or the other. He's done a lot of um, sitcoms. Yes, but, yeah, he's he's in television now, but, I mean, his movies directing has only been R-rated films up until this one. And what what is clear to me from this movie, though, is that he directed none of the comedy, that Steve Carell directed all of the comedy because it is all his his sense of humor, his styling of how to move comedy through a scene and – you know, all that stuff that is key and recognizable as his. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not credited anywhere, but you can ju- you, you just see it throughout. I mean, this is, it's all Steve Carell's sense of humor. Yeah, I was, uh, while you're saying that, I'm thinking about it and trying to, trying to pinpoint that um, to, and figure, and, and kind of see what you're, I, I kind of see what you're talking about as we go, as I'm like going through the scenes in my head. I see it, yeah. Yeah, it makes he, sense. He just, he, he he's, he's has this ability to orchestrate comedy, not just perform comedy. Kind of like Steve Martin has an ability to orchestrate yep. comedy, yep. Yep. which is f- funny considering we made the planes, trains, and automobiles yep. reference. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you, you know, so that that's the thing is is you know there are there are people who can tell jokes and there are people who can you know perform comedy as an art you know, and he is has that ability. So yeah, yeah, Steve Carell is definitely not a joke teller for sure. He's a, he's a he has to act and, and, and point out his stuff. So, yeah, that, that would make sense, though. I mean, like, if, since he's been attached to this movie for so long uh, that, that he would be the one, you know, kind of shepherding things through. And, and let's not forget, Jennifer Garner, for, for all of her faults, uh, is, is a pretty decent comedic actress. And in, oh, yes. in general actress. But yeah. I think her comedy is pretty outstanding when she's allowed to do it. Well, I yeah, think she, she's she's just an underrated actress in general. She's actually one of my favorite parts of Juno, and what, a movie that maybe not appropriate for all of our listeners, but I think she's really fantastic in it and brings this depth to her character I think a lot of people miss because they just look at the, the surface of what's going on. I think that's also here, too. She has these little these little things that she does in her performance that just add another layer to to what she's saying, to what's on the page. Yeah, my my only complaint about her in this movie is she has no real chemistry with Steve Carell. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. they're mm-hmm. they're funny together, but there's no. It doesn't feel like a marriage. No. Also, okay. I, I I um I really think um at least with the baby, and I'm not sure what I can say it with the with the other kids that I felt that her, her that she wasn't really you know like Steve Carell had most of the interaction with the baby. I think that's kind of the point, though. I mean, there's there's so many moments where you can see how much she regrets that she's missing out on these things with with her her youngest. Um, yeah. Like what I, what I was saying about her adding these little bits of uh, layer to those scenes, like when they're talking about um, his him saying his first word at a at the mom the mommy yoga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot what that word was. I can't remember. Fammy. 
<laughs> Fammy, that's right. <laughs> Father, mommy, family. <laughs> um, but I mean, by contrast, though, this is not like it's not meant as a slight to Jennifer Garner because clearly she can have chemistry when she's mixed with the right person. Because let's go back to the odd life of Timothy Green, where she had a tremendous amount of chemistry with Joel Edgerton. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because I thought in Timothy Green she was really great, um, you know, especially bringing the dramatic qualities to that role uh, because that that one was you know obviously a little more serious than this. Um, but there was lighter moments there. But yeah, with Edgerton she was really connected and such. And I think in this, to what you're saying, they were focused much more on the comedy aspect of it and the. I think the difference is that was they were focused very much on that couple and building their relationship in Timothy Green, whereas in this yeah. it was much more about the family unit. Uh, and the marriage was just sort of the facilitator of that, which yeah. is a bad way to think about a marriage, but probably a good way to do comedy. Yeah, you're just supposed to accept that they're a family here and move beyond that. I, I, and yeah. I get that. Yeah. It's just it, – it, it, it's – a shame, but not the not terrible. It doesn't. I don't think it detracts from the movie. It's just very. It's noticeable if you know you're familiar with that dynamic yep, and looking for it. So yeah, you're absolutely right, though. Like they don't they they don't play well together as married people, for sure. All right. So uh, when we flash back, and it's the day before Alexander turns twelve, and he wakes up to find gum in his hair. Um, it's chaos in the house in the morning as everybody's trying to get ready because uh, there's a few things that are going to be going on. Uh, her, his sister Emily is rehearsing for her role as Peter Pan in the school play. Um, her, his brother is talking with his girlfriend Celia or getting ready uh, to talk to her about uh, going to prom, and he's going to have to get his driver's license the next day. And then uh, his mother is, you know, going to work. His father has been laid off and has been unemployed uh, and is trying to figure out a way to uh, take care of the baby, Trevor, which I just laughed when I heard that the baby's name was Trevor because I thought of Timekeeper, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> And, and so all of these things, it's like mass chaos in the morning, and Alexander basically feels like he's getting ignored. Um, which, I will tell you this, going into the film, my son, uh, being the ever vocal child that he is, said that he really didn't want to go see the movie because he read the book several times, and he basically thought that Alexander was just a whiny little brat, and he didn't really want to see 90 minutes of that. And so when this all started at the beginning of the movie, he kind of leaned over to me and said, is he going to whine like this for the next hour? <laughs> and, and like that was a danger, right? Like there, there is definitely a way that you can read that book that you're like, I don't really care about this kid. Yeah, there's a fine line between characters like that and someone that's kind of lovably a loser, kind of like Charlie or Charlie Brown, sad right. sack character. Uh, but yeah, so Alexander goes to school and has a whole bunch of other things go wrong for him. Um, he talks to the girl that he has a crush on, Becky, and she's going to go to this other kid's birthday party. I, I forget his name. I keep wanting to say Peter Parker, but that's not what it was. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, is it, wait, no, isn't he Peter Parker? And then we have, um, what is it, Norman Osborn's son there? Harry? Uh, yeah. 
Maybe that's what right. it was. I don't know. Yeah. I know, uh, I, I know that the kid never wears an ascot in the movie, but that's just kind of how I was thinking about him. Like, I yes. couldn't remember his name, so I just saw him as, as ascot the entire time. <laughs> ascot. Nice. Nice. But yeah, so the, the whole thing is Alexander is going to have a birthday party the next day, and so is this other kid. And the other kid apparently is going to have like a Korean taco truck. The other thing is have... not even his birthday. That was, that was, that was right. like the worst part of yeah. the <laughs> Right. So, um, so all the kids in the school are going to go to this birthday party instead of Alexander's, including his best friend um, and, and Becky, his crush. Um, and then we found out at the very beginning that he's, uh, that he's obsessed with Australia which they don't say that he wants to move to Australia like they do in the book, but just that he really loves it. And so they are handing out school projects, and he doesn't get Australia. Instead, the other kid, the birthday party kid, gets Australia. Um, then he goes to his lab and tries to no- cozy up to Becky. Uh, and unfortunately for him, he gets his lab notes caught in the burner. and sets lab the entire- notes. Good point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And sets the whole lab on fire. I mean, like, it's one thing after another. Uh, and you do start to feel pretty bad for this kid uh, as, as he's going through all this stuff. It's like he, he's one of the – it's one of those days, and we've all had them, where you're like, okay, that was bad. I'm going to go to the next thing, and it's going to be okay. And then the next thing is just as bad and so on and so forth. And that's kind of the tone of the whole movie is like – that's what I liked about it is that, you know, that even as we get into the other characters having this problem, they all sort of go, okay, that was really bad, but I'm going to be okay and we're going to move on and then the next thing's worse, um, which <laughs> makes it very funny. Yeah. Uh, so so all, of this that, all of this that happens, you know, just makes him just miserable. Um, the, the worst thing is uh, he gets basically gets left – uh, at the school, he's sitting there with, uh, is it a guinea pig? Yep. Yeah, yes. guinea pig. That one of the teachers just basically says, well, I can't leave him in the school. Here, take him. I don't think they could get away with that in public education. I'm just saying. Well, they still send kids home with the pets over the weekend, don't they? Yeah, but it's usually a thing where you sign up or you volunteer for it. Yeah, I think, it's the, not, I right. think they would have to have parental permission ahead of time, not not. Like, yeah. Right. Here's the pet. Have a nice day, because I could see parents like freaking out over that. Yes, but yes. but it's the thing of that. It's it's funnier to have this teacher just assume, oh yeah, you can totally take this guinea pig, and him just <laughs> have to kind of be like, oh, uh, I I guess I can take. Okay, you're just gonna give it to me. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be if if my son came home with a cage and a guinea pig, I would probably not be very happy. With the school. Do we see the guinea pig for the rest of the movie after he takes it home? Yes, no. we do, because it's eating cake at the party. Oh, oh yes, it's eating right. cake at the party. Okay. Yeah. But there's like one the cutaway. We don't say it. Yeah. Okay. I was actually kind of waiting for them to find out that the crocodile had eaten it or something, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think perhaps I might have been a little too. Um, yeah, that wouldn't happen in a Disney movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, so yeah, that's the that's the, the 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 day that he has, and he gets picked up late by his father, um, who we we see basically what's going on with the rest of the family um, during the day. We see uh, Anthony talking to Celia, who's played by Bella Thorne from uh, what was this, the show Shake It Up? Is yep. that the show? Yep, that was the show. Um, she's just mean and terrible throughout the whole thing. 
Uh, and we see Emily rehearsing for the play. Uh, we see Jennifer Garner's character. I totally don't know her name because they call her mom most of the time. And she is – they're publishing a new children's book, and she's in charge of the, the launch for that. And if she – if all goes well, then she's going to be um, – you know, promoted and everything. And we see, as we referred to earlier, father, mommy, Steve Carell with the baby in baby yoga, which is quite hilarious. <laughs> Just the whole baby yoga thing. And then he gets yes. a call uh, to interview for a job because he's been out of job with a video game company. So it's like when they get the, the best part of this is like, it's so relatable. Like that, that was what uh, both my kids said is like when they were eating dinner that night, you know, everybody's relating how amazing their day was like, oh, well, I've got this going on and I've got this going on. And there's poor Alexander sitting there going, well, I set the lab on fire. And <laughs> I mean, everybody's been through that moment. You know what I mean? In, a, in the family dynamic, like you've been through that moment where people are going, you know, I cured cancer today. What did you do? Um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this scene is really, I mean, important for the rest of the movie because you see just how kind of like arrogant the rest of his family is about it. That, the, yeah. the, especially that his dad, it, while being well-meaning, is very arrogant and just telling his kid, "Hey, just you know, get over it and be like, be optimistic and just you know, let that guide you." Um, right. I don't know instead if it's of arrogance so much as them just being oblivious to the <laughs> to, to it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that they're doing it to be mean or anything. I I think they're just kind of they, they're having such a good day that they don't want someone bringing their day down. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things that goes on during the movie is Alexander actually says, you know, every day is like that for him, not just the one day that we saw in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Right. He just has this constant string of bad luck, and his family seems to have a constant string of good luck. So, I just—that's what I mean by them being oblivious to the whole concept of bad things happening. You know, they—they yeah. they just don't get bad things. Until, no, that's true. You know, until they wake up. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And so that's that. It's important to note that like the Alexander throws this temper tantrum. Uh, it causes, and it, one of the things that he does is he accidentally shreds um, his baby brother's pacifier, his bumblebee pacifier, in the dish in the uh, garbage disposal. I mean, he doesn't. His father turns it on when he had dropped it in there, uh, and so that like sets actually sets off all the events that happens the next day. So you could take it as his wish of blowing out the Sunday did it, but. You know, like they give you a plausible explanation that this is what happens because that happens, which means the baby's crying, which means Emily, the daughter, doesn't want to rehearse in the house. She goes out to rehearse in the car and leaves the light on in the car. And then up in the bedroom that Anthony shares with Alexander, Alexander is talking to Anthony about, you know, everything. Anthony is actually talking to Celia, who once he calls Alexander, you know, what, annoying and stupid, Celia thinks that Anthony said that to her, causing their, you know, breakup. And I use that term loosely because they make up, like, what, 20 minutes later? Yep. Yep. If that. Um, but, like, that's the stuff that actually starts the whole problem uh, the next day. 
Uh, But, you know, Alexander does make himself a Sunday at 12.01 a.m. with the guinea pig, which is apparently his only friend. (laughs) Uh, And makes the wish that everyone else experience the things that he has experienced uh, of, of having such a bad day. And that's, you know, kind of the conceit of the the last two thirds of the movie basically uh, is, is that they then do experience the horrors that he has experienced the the earlier in the film. And and they are horrors. Let's, let's be clear. The rest of the film is sort of a freak show of bad events. (laughs) It's, it cascades quite a bit. I, some things are not so bad, but they're because of everything else that's going on. It just kind of compounds. But here's the thing, though, right? Is Like you were saying, this is not about the train wreck being a train wreck. This is about the train wreck leading to positive things. Right. Right? Because all of these bad things that are happening actually all lead them to something that makes their lives better by the Correct. end of the yeah. including Alexander. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what what I find funny is, you know, that we saw a little bit of the chaos in the household in the morning um, the first time that they got up when Alexander got gum in his hair. The chaos the next morning when everyone has overslept and the and the alarm has not gone off. Like, I have two children trying to get them out the door in the morning. I can only imagine that if you had four and a parent trying to get out the door – how chaotic it would be. And so this whole sequence of them trying to get out the door. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. And the, the, and the parents had to use that shower too, right? Because that was the whole reason for the, uh, walking on the sun scene. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which, which leads to one of my favorite lines of the entire movie, which will not be going in the quotes section. (laughs) Yes. We we won't say, but it's very, very funny. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I asked. I asked my wife when I left if I could use that in in, in the quotes, and she said no. So <laughs> you'll have to go see the movie to to go get it if you haven't seen it already. I just want to take a second to talk about the people playing the brother and sister, the older brother and sister, not the baby. Yeah. Um, here, here's why. Uh, first off, is uh, the sister Emily is played by Karis Dorsey, who's you know she's starting to become an actress kind of thing, but she also has a singing career with her sister. Okay, and the uh, main song of the movie, the Best Worst Day Ever song, they actually wrote and performed for the movie. Oh, cool. Her, her and her sister. It gets, gets better. Okay. Dylan, Dylan Minnette, right? The, the quote-unquote hashtag blessed thing, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing Donnie Gill from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He is also a musician. Okay, he's in a group called the Narwhals that is actually, under their old name, they played Advanced Warp Tour, but it's the same people in the group. They play that song at the, I think it's during the end credits, the Surf, Surf, Don't Drown song. That's actually their song that they wrote and performed for the movie. So it's two of the actors uh, have songs in the movie. I thought that was interesting. Definitely. Helps them save on budget. Yeah, exactly. Right? (laughs) All right, uh, so the the chaos in the morning goes down sort of like this. So because Emily was in the car and she, uh, after rehearsing all night, um, she got a cold. Uh, She left the light on, therefore the battery in the car is dead. And so 
they only have the one car. Um, as previously mentioned, uh, Mom walks in on Anthony uh, as he's taking a shower. Anthony has a huge zit that he has to put a Band-Aid over. Uh, and so because they only have the one car, everybody's got to climb into uh, the one car and be dropped off at all their various and sundry different places, the middle school, the high school. Uh, ben has to drop uh, his wife off at work, uh, and he eventually will then have to take his son with him to his job interview. So all of these things are just kind of snowballing going wrong, except for Alexander, <laughs> who turns out to be having quite the day. Because when he gets to school, the other kid, I'm just going to go with Peter Parker because I forgot the kid's name. Uh, Peter Parker's party has been canceled because he got, like, some form of pox. Chicken pox, yep. Chicken yeah. pox, yep. There was a pox upon his house is what was going on. And so he has to, he calls his dad and tells him, like, hey, let's get the party going. Let's make sure we got a great party because now everybody's coming to my party. Um and so all of a sudden, like, Becky's going to come to his party, and, you know, Alexander's having quite the day, um, which, unfortunately for, for everyone else in the family, it is not going quite as well. And well, I, I did I did like the scene right before he gets to school and finds out about that when all the disaster is happening at the house with them heading out the door, and he's sitting there at the table just eating waffles while yes. all of the chaos is ensuing. <laughs> well, because the first day he didn't get any waffles, right? Right. Yep. So it was. It was everything. Like like Ryan said, everything is going his way, not everybody else's way. So. Yep. It was. It's pretty funny. Pretty funny, and so the bad things that start happening. Um, you know, uh, mom, the Jennifer Garner character, is told that there's a misprint in the book because she's she's running late. She gets in. And there's a chaos, and it all she knows is that there's a misprint in her book, which is let's go jump on the potty or something like that, I think is the yep. name of the book. Um, and she has a celebrity reading with Dick Van Dyke, uh, who is doing a <laughs> reading of the book. That was a big surprise cameo that we were talking about earlier. So that this, um, it's, he's really funny in the movie. Um, and then, so she has to borrow a bicycle to get to the to get to the reading because Ben has to have the car because there's only one car to go to his interview, and so he goes to the interview uh, and meets and takes the baby with him and and goes and meets Greg, um, who's played by Donald Glover from Community. Yes, <laughs> uh, which is pretty funny because those two playing off each other as far as like masters of awkward humor. The whole interview scene, I was, I was like cracking up. Yeah, it, it was weird. I mean, software interviews don't really go like that, first of all. But that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been interviewed by game companies, so I know. Um, the thing is that it's just the, like you said. There's that awkwardness, but it's kind of funny because. They're like, they start out, they're listening to him, they're like really cool, and then they're just so distracted that they totally stop listening to him. Completely. And, and why are they distracted, Todd? <laughs> oh, because the baby's eating the green magic marker. Yes, he is. Literally <laughs> eating a green highlighter. 
I didn't even, like, who even has that in with the toys that you give to the child? I didn't understand that. Well, I feel like he had, like, a, a, a briefcase that had, like, work stuff in it that he had converted. That's what it looked like. You know what I mean? Like, he had a briefcase. Yeah that he had just converted into baby stuff because he'd been laid off for so long, and I feel like he, like, left the thing in there. At least this is the way I rationalized it in my head. But, yeah, I had that same thought. Like, why would you leave that? <laughs> okay. That's, that's fair. I'll take that. <laughs> You'll take that explanation? Sure. All right. Uh, so... <laughs> so the baby just has green all over his face. And then, meanwhile, uh, Mom getting on the bike. Like, Jennifer Garner... Riding the bike down the street. Very funny. Just that part. Just her riding the bike down the street telling people to get out of the way. Yeah, this this entire sequence with her in the book is one of the best parts of the movie. I, yes. Because, I mean, like the funniest part about it is the fact that she has Dick Van Dyke, who everyone knows and loves and just kind of thinks of as their grandpa or like, like you know, like this, you know, kindly, sweet person. They all think of him as Bert from, uh, from Mary Poppins. And he's so angry with her. <laughs> well, he doesn't believe her. <laughs> I think no, what, he does not. <laughs> what happens, I agree with her, what happens is partly his fault as far as the character goes. You oh, know? yes. I realize yes. it's Dick Van Dyke playing himself, so he's not necessarily himself. But that it, it's partly his fault. It's just he completely blames her because that's how the day is going. Yes, correct. Um, and, and so what happens is um, the word jump gets changed to dump. And instead of let's go jump on the potty, um, there are multiple times when Dick Van Dyke says the word dump in reading the book. In, in, in numerous replacement context. Correct. Um, and it's, it is uproariously funny. <laughs> well, the thing is, he keeps going, and you're like, when is he going to realize what's going on and actually yes. stop reading this? <laughs> and, and, like, it gets into that point where you're like, oh, this is really painful. Like, I get, like you know it's a movie, and it's painful what's going on. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, it is. Very. Yes. <laughs> It's very funny. I mean, very, yeah. I, I loved this. Like, I was like, once I saw Dick Van Dyke, I was like, I don't know what the typo is, but this is going to be good. And then once once he started reading it, it was hilarious. Um, and even better, I th think, is like her reaction of like avoiding things and hiding in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> when, uh, when he starts reading the book, too, it's kind of like that moment in uh, Night at the Museum where he punches Ben Stiller in the face. Yes. <laughs> right? Because yes. it's completely unexpected. <laughs> completely. Yep. Uh, and so, yeah, the disaster keeps happening. Ben uh, has to go and pick up Emily from school because she's getting sick. Uh, so when he goes and picks up her and Alexander, he has to take her to get cough syrup. Uh, so he's talking to his wife on the phone and finding out the horrible thing that's happened to her. Um, he's trying to get a bumblebee pacifier, and there isn't one because the baby's still crying and still green, by the way. 
and and she starts drinking like drinking the maximum strength cough syrup like it was Kool Aid. Yep. Probably was well, she, Gatorade. She only bought one, and she was drinking it for quite a long time. So she's not like chug chugging it, but she's drinking a lot of it. Yeah, but because yeah. she's doing it because she wants to be in the play, and her director guy said like you know have her back here by this time so that she could be ready to go, uh, and so so yeah, and 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 then he has to go and pick up Anthony who was supposed to go to the DMV to take his driving test that day. Um, but the, of course the car doesn't work, so they have to all go. He picks up his wife as well. They have to all go down there and let him take his driver's test. Uh, and this is where Jennifer Coolidge makes a cameo as the driving instructor. Yeah. And her bit in here is really funny. Very funny. Uh, do you want to, you want to go ahead and describe that? Because it's, um, yeah. Yeah. Basically, um, in the middle of the driving test, uh, the son's phone starts going off, and he's saying that he's not going to answer the phone because, of course, he would never answer his cell phone in the middle while he's driving, especially in the middle of the driving test. And she keeps kind of baiting him and being like, well, you know, it seems like she re- your girlfriend really wants to talk to you. She, she's pretty insistent. She just keeps calling. And... Um, and eventually he he says, "Would it be all right for me to take the call?" And she says, "Well, I want what you want." <laughs> and so he takes the he takes the call, and she immediately starts yelling at him. <laughs> and um, craziness ensues. The car goes all wonky. They almost crash. And um, yeah. <laughs> and needless to say, he fails his driving test, and they lose an entire door of the car. And a lot of other parts of the car. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. The planes, trains, and automobiles thing I was talking about earlier. Think the car when, like, the rental car that John Candy and Steve Martin get, like, at the very end. It is everything but set on fire. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah it makes, it makes me, the other cars that makes me think about the cars from the Blues Brothers and uh, the cars from uh, Desperately Seeking Susan, the one that falls apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially, especially Blues Brothers. My, yeah. my favorite part of this, though, is like you were talking about Steve Carell in the comedy earlier, Todd, is how it, when, when they get him back and he's going, you hit, he just goes on this constant theme of like, you hit every single parking meter. I don't, how does somebody hit, and, and it's not the main point of dialogue, but he just repeats, he goes through it in like five different ways in the background of all this crosstalk. And I was just laughing at him saying that because he's just repeating it, trying to come to grips with it. <laughs> <laughs> So so they get they get through that and then this damaged horrible van they take Emily to her play uh they take her and get her ready and you know dressed in her Peter Pan costume she's a little bit messed up by the cough syrup and by a little bit I mean quite a lot <laughs> Only we don't really find out how much until the play starts. Right. And when the play starts and everybody's sitting down and, you know, uh, Ben takes his wife's hand and, you know, they're all happy that, you know, yes, this day's been horrible, but we, we might survive. Um, they start the play and Wendy is talking to her brothers and all of a sudden Peter Pan appears on the top and starts singing and 
yelling and flying across in her harness and knocking down the set uh, and, and yeah, and throwing pixie dust and taking bows at the end, even though the play hadn't really started yet. Um, yeah, she, she was not good. <laughs> I was actually waiting for this scene to turn into that scene from Simon Birch with the uh, Christmas pageant with the kid, the kid who's playing the angel flying out over the audience and losing his lunch over top of uh, their accompanist. Yes. Um, <laughs> though that, do, that does not happen until much later that she loses her lunch. Indeed. <laughs> I kind of like, one of the things is, is the way the bad moments string together. Yes. Yeah. It, it's, it's well designed, right? Because it's not like there's like hard cuts between them, like, Something in the last one feeds into the, something later on in another one. Exactly. That's what we were saying when we left is like, you know, the story in this, normally in a movie like this, the story is not great. Like, you know, it's just, it's okay, but, you know, you're in it for the gags and that sort of thing. In this one, they took really good care to do exactly what you're saying, uh, to find a way to string everything together to make it all connect and like there's not a moment in here that I would go oh they could have cut that you know it's it it all connects very very well uh and, and like you guys said she does lose her lunch uh and much to Ben's chagrin she loses her 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 lunch on his shirt uh <laughs> that he has uh even though he has gotten a phone call that he has gotten a second interview despite the highlighter troubles of earlier. Uh, and he's supposed to go back to meet with these folks at uh, Nagamaki. Oh, you know what section we forgot? The kid what? got suspended. Oh, yeah, oh, that's yes. right. You're right, you're right, you're right. Very, very true. Because um, this, this is funny because I love, I mean, they're throwing out their, I mean, this is subliminal advertising at its best because one, we have to play this Peter Pan, and two, that this is where the principal calls him Wreck It Ralph. Yes. True. <laughs> yep, you're right. <laughs> that, that's, by the way, that's energy at work. <laughs> that, that, so he goes, basically, what happens, we mentioned earlier, he breaks up with his girlfriend and then 20 minutes later resolves with her. But um, what goes on is he meets up with her in school, drags her out of class. And then, in like, basically forces her to go back to going to this prom with him, okay? And so she gets pulled back into class by her teacher, who says, you know, it's not social hour or something like that. And he's all excited, so he wa- he wanders off and he jumps up to hit something, you know, to give it, you know, that high, what do you, jump shot kind of moment, right? Yep. And he hits the the sign. And the side has been tied to two trophy cases, and both trophy cases fall down, and just like there's explosions of sparks and stuff like that. It was quite like you didn't see it coming. No. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's why it was it was really funny. And then then the teacher pops back out and set, sends him to the principal office and goes, "All right, wreck it, Ralph." And that's when he gets suspended. So. Yeah. Which I thought when he got suspended then that he wouldn't be able to go to the dance. Or take his driving test. I didn't understand any of why they still allowed him to do any of that when he was suspended. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were Coopers and they go onward and upward. I that's guess all, so. That's all I got. <laughs> 
All right. Yeah, but uh, so the the suit gets destroyed, um, and he has to borrow wardrobe. Ben does uh, for the interview from the school drama department, uh, which means he ends up wearing a pirate blouse. Yes. I was just waiting for a Seinfeld reference here, and none. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. Pirate shirt. <laughs> I agree. Well, maybe maybe it's good that there wasn't. To be honest, not that I dislike Seinfeld and you know the jokes that it made, especially the poofy shirt stuff, but you know at the same time, I'm glad they didn't, you know, push in that direction. Yeah, I'm not sure the kids would have gotten the Seinfeld joke. I think that's part of the. Um, I don't know if Ryan can expect. expect it. No, you're, I, I don't you're even right. know what the Seinfeld yeah. joke is. One, but um, I don't. I'm not sure the kids would have gotten it, and probably that's why they didn't put it in because they thought. Okay, the kids aren't going to get this. Only the adults are. So why are we putting this in? Yeah. Well, well, maybe what they did was they they specifically picked a pirate shirt because they said, well, we have the entirety of the drama department that we can pick from for you know for something for him to wear, and maybe this will be like a nice visual gag just for the parents. Maybe that they don't even have to necessarily reference it, but they'll see it and kind of make that connection. Yeah. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps true and so yes they have to go they go to the uh they have to go pick up uh, the tux for anthony uh and as we mentioned earlier his tux has been given away and he gets the powder blue number and then instead of picking celia up in the car uh and driving her he picks her up in the minivan that he damaged and with his entire family and then they're all going to go to nagamaki because that's where dad has the interview. And so Celia and Anthony get their own table. Uh, ben goes to sit down with Greg, the video game guy, and his compatriots. And then the rest of the family goes and sits elsewhere. Uh, and we get the nice uncomfortableness of everybody trying to watch dad's interview. Which he does quite well at, I might add. We also get how how wrong Celia is, is yes. for him. Yeah. <laughs> she's an awful person. Because she starts complaining about the food and how she won't be able to eat anything there. Which, first of all, as someone who's, you know, vegan, I, I, I would be right on top of her with that. I would agree. But then as soon as her friends walk in the door, she's, like, changing her tune. She's like, oh, wait, these people in here? Oh, wait, now, now I'm not so bad. <laughs> well, she's like, who, who, goes to Na- who goes to Nagamaki before prom is what she's what she says to him. Yep. And it turns out that all of her friends do. Yes. Apparently she knows them very well. Uh, yeah. Or not. As the case may be. Uh, and so that horribleness is going on between the two of them. And then her father, his father rather, is trying to interview and at some point starts a big uh, throwing shrimp at his head competition. <laughs> shrimp me <laughs> which they do this in these sort of restaurants they will throw shrimp at you and so they do like 10 in a row and at some point he accidentally gets his piratey blouse uh, caught in the fire and his arms are on fire uh, and he has to douse them in the lobster tank and it's all very embarrassing and the entire restaurant goes silent uh, and, and it's just it's just not good for him 
Um, which leads except, to... Except that he says the lie. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not like we're ruining this line because every single commercial fo- for this movie focuses on this line. <laughs> which is? Good. Which is, he goes, I still got three arms! Yes. Pirate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which leads to Steve Carell, who has been, you know, through the whole thing, he's been the optimistic one of all the craziness that's going on. He's like, you know... Yeah, it's all good. We're gonna be we're gonna be fine. We're gonna make it through. Uh, this is the you know the dark moment of the film where he is in the back, kicking trash cans, upset because of of what's happened and that he blew it. Um, and I thought playing some nice pathos of you know there's a there's a moment earlier where he and Jennifer Garner are talking and she's like you know you've been out of work for so long and he's like you know it's okay because I've gotten to spend time with the kids and he's really putting a nice face on it and this is where I thought you could see like no it's not really okay like he he really did want to get a job yeah yeah and I like that um, it isn't necessarily that he doesn't enjoy being a stay-at-home dad or that he hasn't found joy in it which i like the fact that this movie never really makes a joke out of the fact that he is a stay-at-home dad aside Amen. from the, the mommy yoga stuff is a little bit silly but it isn't ever at his expense right it's that there's mommy yoga <laughs> yes um and that yeah it's it's that he he doesn't feel complete in his life right now because he's he wants to be able to provide for his family and everything. He wants he wants to be able to be, to be back at work. And it's not a thing also where she has to give up her career or anything in order for right. that to happen. That's so, a great point because um, that was one that was another thing we talked about when leaving the movie is like how refreshing is it that you know there doesn't have to be a stay at home you know cut the crust off the bread mom or dad in the film like it's like yeah we both want to go to work we both want to have a career but we also want to take care of our family like you just don't see that in movies yeah exactly uh so it was it was really nice to see uh you know something like that in a movie uh, and still show that, Hey, you know, these kids can be healthy and happy, uh, presuming they don't have many days like this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the whole family comes together um, within, you know, kicking him, kicking the trash cans and everything. And they all start kicking trash cans and, you know, saying how that, you know, they'll, they're going to get through this and the Coopers are going to stick together, you know, and Anthony decides, Celia is a horrible human being, and he doesn't want to be seen with her. Uh, finally, yeah, because she oh she gives him the ultimatum. She's like, you know, I found us a ride to the prom. Yeah, we got to yeah. ditch your your family. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not ditching the family. <laughs> Which I say, good for him. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so yes, they 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 all stick together, and this is when we get to the point in the opening where they're driving down the street in the in the tattered remnants of a van. I wouldn't even say it's actually a van. Uh, and they come home and open the door. And, and so we skipped a little bit earlier that uh, somebody had come to the house to set something up for the party. Uh, we don't know who. And when they get to the door, it turns out it was the wild beast people because there's a crocodile in the front hall. <laughs> I feel like Happiest Millionaire at that point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a problem when you walk in and there is a vicious reptile with large jaws in your front door. Fortunately, there were men there to wrangle it. 
Well, actually, they just he just the the crocodile just walked back to the uh, pool, right? Yeah, just crawled right into the pool. These are the most easygoing animal wranglers I think I've ever seen. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> like, how do you not notice the alligator is missing, even if it's just in the other inside the house when you're outside the house? How do you notice it not there? Not notice it, I mean. I agree. It's bad. Yeah. But uh, so they walk into the backyard, and it turns out Ben had created an Australian zoo um, for Alexander's party, which is very cool. Uh, and so this is when they, you know, they all start getting together. They all start uh, pitching in, and you know, it's like, okay, uh, you know, Emily, you're on music. Anthony, you got to go get this done. Mom, get on food. That sort of thing. They get the party together, uh, and everybody comes to the birthday party, including Becky, Alexander's crush, um, and both get calls. Ben gets a call that uh, that he got the job. Uh, his wife gets a call that, in fact, the Dick Van Dyke video went viral, and everybody wants this book now. Which, that to me was the, like the most true part of the whole movie. I'm like, yes. yep, that's exactly what would happen. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, also have the um, end part. Yes, with um, <laughs> the, the authentic Australian cowboys show up that Ben has hired. And yes, cowboys. They are, they are um, strippers. I, I don't have any other way to say it. That's what they are. Um, and adult entertainment. There you go. And so they managed to convince them not to do their normal act. Yeah, um, they like yell PG thirty. Yeah, PG PG. <laughs> um, and so they managed to, to to avoid that. But I thought that was really funny. And yeah, then yeah. so everybody's happy, and uh, they realize, you know, it's like we said at the beginning. It's a great message of like, you know, stuff happens. It's okay. Um, and, and, and you're going to get through it. So, uh, I, I really enjoyed that, that aspect of it, of, of telling people that, you know, this is, this is the way life is. There's going to be stuff like this. And, uh, you, you just, you should move on and, um, you, you keep a, keep a positive outlook on things. The other aspect that reminded me of the, of John Hughes was really the cameos in this movie. Cause there's a lot of really good comedic talent that shows up in little, little parts in this. Um, I was especially excited to see, um, uh, what is his name from, uh, from, uh, Pacific Rim, uh, Bern Gorman show up as the drama professor, um, Jonathan Slavin, who I recognized, uh, from Better Off Ted as the tuck shop employee. It felt very much like a John Hughes movie where he would put these very funny people, these really great, uh, comedic talents in these little cameo roles in it. So, and of course, Donald Glover and, uh, Megan Mullally in here. So cool. I wanted to set a couple things. One, uh, this movie right out the gate uh, received the Common Sense Media Award. So to, again, to go towards family appeal, that is why they got it, is uh, that, that, that's only awarded to new f- movies that come out that, that have completely positive themes and messages for, that have a high family appeal. So they, and it, they gave it an age rating of nine since, since I had that up. I wrote that down too, just so people know that that's the target audience that they feel it's for. Uh, there's this very funny, you know, they do like all the little anecdotal movies um, videos about you know with the actors and actresses of the movie and stuff like that. There's one where Steve Carell and Jennifer Garner are being interviewed and they're asked two questions. Okay, 
The first one is uh, whether they'd rather catch on fire or fight a kangaroo. <laughs> okay. And uh, they both decided catch on fire because kangaroos are strong and scary. They are. They're frightening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, then it was powder blue tux versus pirate sh shirt. And they both concluded that while she didn't know what she would wear, that, that Steve Carell could probably wear anything and completely rock it. So. I can agree with that, too. <laughs> okay. So um, then let's, let's rate this. Um, I'll, I'll actually go first this time just because um, I think I'm, I'm going to give this a, a, a three and a half. It's not quite a four. Um, it's not, there's, it, this isn't a movie that uh, has something hugely profound to say about the human condition or anything like that, you know. Uh, but it is it is for families who are looking for just a good matinee movie um, to get out of the heat and or cold, depending on where you live, as Cheryl has informed me. Uh, this is a great one. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. You know, lots of laughs, lots of fun. Um, there's definitely something in there that for for the grownups, for the kids, for everybody. So uh, I would give it a, a three and a half. Um, so, Cheryl, I don't think you liked it as much as me, though. What do you what did you think? I'm going for two and a half. I I really think it's like it's like just I wish it had been I don't know how they could have made it a little bit more. I think again that they because the director they picked had done sitcoms had done that stuff that was filmed in that way. So for me, I kept, again I kept thinking the Sixteen Wishes movie. I kept thinking you know Team Beach movie along those lines. I I mean I didn't I. I, well, I love the movie. I thought it was, you know, great and uh, funny. I just think the way it was... Something about it is just, like, keeping me from that three. <laughs> That's why I'm at two and a half. Two and a half, all right. Fair enough. Uh, what about you, Rachel? I'm going to give this a solid three. This movie is really much better than it has any right to be. Um, and much funnier than what I was expecting. Um, so... I would definitely recommend this as a great movie for families. Not too much, you know, stupid humor in it. Um, just very sweet. Um, but again, not anything particularly profound. All right. Fair enough. All right. Todd, um, you get the last vote. All right. I'm also going with a three. I mean, it's not a terrible movie. It's not a stellar movie. It's a, it's a good movie, though. It's it's fun. It's funny. I laughed and I cringed and I cried, you know. So, and as we've said several times, the message it delivers and the family quality of it is just good and solid. All right. So I think we're all there, you know, right there in the middle in that three range, right? So, um, so that's that's good. I think we're all, you know, depends on what you're looking for, but uh, I think worth worth checking out, um, even if you wait for video, home video or whatever. But uh, you know, Alexander is one of those movies that I think. Uh, it's, it's a fun movie to watch. It's not one I think anybody's going to be rushing out to buy and own, uh, but I think you'll enjoy you know, watching it. All right. Uh, so that is our look at Alexander and the no good and horrible, very bad day. Uh, if you guys have gone to see the movie, uh, please let us know what you think. You can tweet us at DizFilmProject. You can send us an email, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. And, of course, you can leave a note in the show notes over at this episode over on DisneyFilmProject.com. And you can also find us on Facebook. 
All right. So if you're listening to the show, I assume you're doing so through your podcast app or aggregator or whatever it is. So uh, we appreciate you doing that. And make sure you can also listen on Stitcher Radio. Uh, you can listen on uh, Diz Dad's Radio from time to time. You'll hear us on there. And, of course, on iTunes, you can go and rate or review the show or both. Um, if you could do that, it really helps people find the show uh, when they're looking for new podcasts and things to listen to. So if you could do that for us, we would appreciate it. All right, so that will do it for this week's show. For Todd and Cheryl and Rachel, I'm Ryan, and we will see you again soon. I made a frittata, the crustless quiche. It's not poisonous. At least I don't think it's poisonous. I'm the flaming pirate of Nagamaki. Let's go, Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs>